1: Well-cared-for venison is good, but tenderized venison can be exceptional. On this episode, we're going to look at fast and easy ways to tenderize your venison and make it more versatile for a variety of cooking methods. Hey and welcome to another episode of the New Hunters Guide, the podcast helping new hunters get started and helping active hunters learn new things. I'm your host George Kenedis, and today we're talking about tenderizing venison. What can you do, and what are the best steps to take in order to take meat that's maybe tougher than you want it to be, or tougher for the cooking method that you want to use, and making that venison easy to chew, super tender and great for a variety of cooking methods. Now, I should start this by saying I was a cook before I was a hunter. Not a professional cook, not a trained cook, but I grew up um, with uh, with very strong culinary influences. Greek American, Italian American, very strong. My dad had his own restaurant. My sister's a trained chef. I, I did not have any culinary training per se, though I have worked at... Uh, some institutions that sold food of various types, but most of what I've picked up are are things that just being around cooks, being around chefs, watching them, studying them, and then over the, the long time I was in college just teaching myself to cook and learning how to use different ingredients and different cooking methods and how to cook the same piece of meat two, three, four, ten different ways, and just building my own ability to cook because I found I could not find the quality of food that I wanted easily, even at restaurants or other places. So it just came upon me to learn how to cook, to be able to eat the way I wanted to eat at the level I wanted to eat without paying exorbitant amount of fees for high level restaurants. And I don't mean like super fancy stuff, but just quality food, quality ingredients, good stuff, so when I became a hunter, um, you know, after hunting and the joy of hunting and the thrill of hunting and, and everything that goes into the hunt, being able to eat what you hunted just took things to another level. It just took things to another world, being able to enjoy venison and turkey and all different kinds of game and be able to cook with it and learn new ways of cooking and new dishes and and just having an entire new avenue open up, you know. I mostly cook with chicken and beef, um, not a whole lot else. A little bit of fish, the you know the the occasional other thing, but those are staples. Now adding a new staple, it just changes the game. You know, venison is now a staple in our household. It's not just something we have two or three times a year. You know, I I might like to to get um, you know whatever I might be crab legs or lobster or, or some fresh salmon or something. That's just a couple times a year, you know. I have two recipes for any of those items, if that, because um, it's just not something we eat often. When we do eat it, I got a couple ways that I know work well, and I just I never have to experiment. I never I'm never you know working outside the box. But when it comes to venison, I mean, if a week goes by and we don't eat venison, it's a strange week or something happened, or we got all kinds of leftovers from someone else, or we're on vacation, or whatever it might be. You know, on a regular basis, venison is a regular food that we eat, so it's something that for years I've worked on, you know, mastering how to cook it. And not just apply heat and then eat it, but how do you make it excellent? Because, you know, I don't want to eat just blah food. Like, yeah, well, we cooked it, and you can eat it, you survive another day. That works in the wilderness, That works in a survival situation, but when it comes to me and my family and life, you know, if I cannot cook venison as well as I can cook other things, eventually I'm just going to stop cooking it. You know, if I can't make venison appealing, then I'm just going to stop making it. I'll give my meat away and I'll go back to things that are better. But that's not the case. You know, I've learned way after way after way to prepare venison so that it comes into its own, that it competes at that same level as other dishes that I've got You know, years of experience making and years of developing my palate towards. So there's a lot you can do with venison. It is an exceptional meat. Uh, I've done episodes on this in the past, so I don't want to rehash everything, but you can go back. We've done shows on cooking venison and different ways to prepare venison and how to get venison from the field to the table to be the best quality, the best flavor, to not be gamey, to not be gross. You know, what can you do in terms of care and preparation and all of those things. I've done episodes on those in the past. You can go back and look into those. It's good stuff if you haven't heard it. You know, you can just add on to what we're covering today and you know, don't have the time to go into all those things again but venison is its own meat. It is not chicken. It's not beef. If you're trying to get venison to taste like beef, you're missing it. You're missing the the opportunity. You're missing the beauty of what's available. We're not trying to make this meat taste like a different meat. We're trying to get, get this meat to be the best that it can be, to taste the best that it can taste. You know, if you like lamb, you're not trying to get lamb to taste like beef. You're trying to get it to taste like the best lamb it can taste like. If if you like lobster, you're not trying to get it to taste like crab. You know, maybe you're used to crab. You eat a lot of crab. You're not trying to make the lobster taste like crab. You're trying to make it be the best it can be. So the same's true with venison. We're not trying to make venison taste like something else. We're trying to make venison come alive, come into its own to become its it's a staple food item but something that is enjoyed and appreciated and accentuated and you cook venison differently than beef you you cook it with different things because it has different flavors you use different herbs you use different techniques because venison is not beef and if you cook venison like beef you, uh, you will not get the same results you don't want to cook venison like beef often you'll, cause then you'll, you'll use the same recipe and what worked well for beef may work terrible for venison. What tasted good for beef might be terrible for venison. And then you think, Oh, venison tastes terrible. Well, no, you just, you, you tried to, to cook it like the wrong thing. I've, I've talked before about cooking Turkey. You know, the difference between wild Turkey and store-bought Turkey is profound. It is similar to the level of difference between Turkey and chicken you know and people don't cook turkey the way they cook chicken you just don't it's a, even store bought turkey you don't cook it the same way you cook chicken there's lots of differences very you know people don't buy a lot of store bought turkey though typically they buy a thanksgiving turkey and that's it so they don't have experience in cooking it and then when you get a wild turkey and you try to cook that like chicken it comes out terrible cuz you have to know what this meat is how to cook it what what goes into it to get the best out of it so when it comes to venison, you know, there's different flavors that are involved. There's different, um, there's different things to complement. I will use herbs in cooking venison. I don't use for beef because the, the beef has a different flavor. Those herbs don't complement it. They just sort of like, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, why would you put that in there? Same thing with chicken. I don't cook chicken the same way I cook beef for, you know, a host of what should be obvious reasons. So when it comes to venison, we have different cooking methods. And again, I've done episodes on this. You can go back and look at it. But what a lot of people find is venison is not as tender as beef. They find it's not as tender. And that's a fair point. As as a meat in general, no, it's not as tender. It's not as lean, and that contributes to it. Uh, But people aren't necessarily comparing venison to beef fairly. They're comparing wild caught or wild shot venison to farm raised beef. They're not they're not considering, you know, looking at wild cattle that have, you know, roamed the plains or wild buffalo or animals that, you know, live on their own, eating grass, fight to survive you know starve some years and barely make it through the winter and then breed and all that stuff they're they're not looking at that those kind of cows they're looking at cows that have stood in a in a in a five by three foot stall their entire life eating corn. That's what they're looking at so if you were to compare wild cattle to store bought farm raised cattle, you would have a significant difference significant difference. And a lot of the ways that you cook your store-bought beef, you wouldn't want to cook the wild beef that way. You you would need to make some adjustments. Not in every way, but you would need to make some adjustments to get the best out of it. So with venison, people are comparing a wild shot animal to a different store-bought animal. So you can bet venison the beef, you're, you're two degrees removed. You're wild to store bought, and then you are wild from one animal to a different animal, so they're going to be different. And and of course, you know, if you had farm raised venison, it would be different than wild venison. But a lot of the reasons that we like wild venison is that it's it's you know, for lack of a better term, more natural, more organic. That it's not something that has grown up being fed or injected with a whole host of things that people and myself are not interested in eating on a regular basis. It's just a more natural product. It is fresh. It is you you know where it came from, farm to table, woods to woods to fridge, woods to freezer. You know what's going on. So there's a lot of appeal there. But at the end of the day, how do you cook it to make it great? You know, if it's if it's just if it's just all that and it's just sort of the nostalgia of it and we like where it came from. You know, that's one thing, but that's not enough for me. If it's enough for you and you cook it and it's lousy, then, and you're happy, then fine. But that's not okay for me. I, I was, I'm not satisfied to eat lousy venison and just feel good about where it came from. And for the first couple years, I did. I did eat lousy venison, feeling good about where it came from. Because I was trying to figure out, how do you cook this thing? Why is this not working? How come everything I do is a disaster? And it wasn't until I came under the uh, the sort of the mentorship of Chef Albert um, Woosh that I, I actually began to learn some things that completely changed my paradigm for cooking venison, completely changed my paradigm. And I got his recipe list and everything and I like some of his recipes, but his recipes were not the thing that did it. It was just the change in approach, the change in understanding what this meat is, and how to use it. So that's the biggest thing. There's, you can go online and you can Google any kind of venison recipe you want. You can pick up any wild game cookbook, and you should, if you do not have a venison cookbook or two or three of them like I do, you need to go get two or three of them. You need to go on Amazon, go to a thrift store, go somewhere, go to Half Price Books, get you some cookbooks, on venison, I think I got one that was a dollar, maybe two dollars, something like that, and it's my best one. It's better than the one that the chef wrote, maybe because there's 10 times more recipes in it, but it's phenomenal of the stuff that's in there. And but it, it's not just the recipes, it's how do you handle and treat the meat.
0: Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt.
2: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: So, uh, you know, this episode, of course, is about tenderizing. And I will talk about some other things, and already have. But tenderizing is a big thing, because venison, for most people, is not as tender as beef. Of course, they're, they're always comparing apples to oranges when they say that. They're not comparing venison tenderloin to beef tenderloin, right? because a venison's tenderloin is the one serving you know, unless it's a huge buck, the tenderloin I don't mean the backstraps. backstrap is not the tenderloin you're there there's a lot of misterminology in there that people have perpetuated for years. The backstraps and the tenderloin are completely different muscles inside of the venison. Once you remove the entrails and you clean everything out, the tenderloins are in there. In the back closer towards the closer towards the tail side of the deer, you know, up on top you have your little tenderloins. And that is the equivalent of the filet mignon on a cow. They're just way bigger on a cow. On a cow they can weigh 10 10 to 15 pounds even, and you can you can get a lot of steaks out of one of them. On a deer, they may weigh you know six, seven eight ounces, maybe more if it's a big buck, something like that. but it's they're one meal you know there's not there's not a whole lot more to it than that. but people aren't comparing venison tenderloin to beef tenderloin. they're usually comparing backstraps to beef tenderloin, or they're comparing venison leg, essentially bottom round roast to strip steak off a cow. And and it, it doesn't work that way. If you went to a cow and you bought a bottom round roast and you tried to cook it like a strip steak on a charcoal grill, it would be tough. It would be dry. It would be, it would be a rough situation. Ask me how I know I've done this. This is when I first started cooking, I didn't know anything about the cuts of meat. So I'd go to the grocery store and just buy whatever and say, well, oh, that's meat. That's a steak. Let's cook it. And I learned the hard way, no, that is that is ridiculous. But for some reason, we don't come to that conclusion. A lot of hunters don't come to that conclusion with venison. They don't understand the different cuts. A lot of butchers, you take it there, you know, you, you get round steaks back. Venison round steaks. And what they do is they take the whole leg hind, hind quarter, put it on a bandsaw, and cut, you know, three-quarter inch steaks. just straight through with the bone in the middle and essentially what that is is all the different muscles around that bone that are part of the loin you've got top round bottom round sirloin tip um, eye of round all of those different muscles are represented there If, if that was a beef steak it would be terrible and people cook it as a venison steak and it's terrible and people say well you know venison's just not that good no it's the cheap and easy way out Butchers know, most people don't know the difference, so they just do that because it's super fast and easy for them. They freeze it, throw it on the bandsaw, zip, 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 zip. that one's done. Zip, 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 that one's done. They don't have to cut up the different muscles, they don't have to actually butcher it, they just slice and dice a frozen leg. And you know, some people, that's okay, I've had a few of them that I made myself when I was first learning about this stuff, they were okay. You know, if you cook it right and, and you do the right things, it was okay. It wasn't always terrible, but compare that to you know, a ribeye steak on a cow, and there's no comparison. You're just playing games with yourself if you think that compares, because you're cooking tough, uh, you know, very fibrous leg muscles, and trying to compare that to to a ribeye steak. No, it just doesn't work like that. The the, the difference in texture is in taste and tenderness and moisture is going to be drastically different because nobody cooks beef like that. One, because people have just been trained over the years to know better. And two, if you were to cut up a whole beef leg like that, your beef round steak with the bone in the middle and all the muscles around it, even at a half inch thick would weigh 15 pounds because the leg is so big. So you just can't, it's not even feasible to cut beef steaks like that. You couldn't do it. It's just unrealistic because the animal is so much larger and what you would end up with would be so large, it wouldn't make any sense. But because deer are smaller, people get away with it. So you need to learn how to butcher a deer or at least find a butcher that will give you all the different cuts of of venison, uh, separated, packaged, labeled, and then you can cook them appropriately. And I have done episodes on that. And you can go back and look at all those. But when it comes to tenderness, say you want to take a backstrap. The backstrap is the muscle on the the, the top of the animal that goes right across the back on either side of the spine on the outside of the animal. So under the skin, on the top middle, are the backstraps. Inside of the animal, on the top on the rib cage, you have the tenderloins, which is the equivalent of your filet mignon on a cow. The backstrap on a venison, on a deer, is what we would call the strip steak, the strip loin on a cow. That's your New York strip, that's your whatever you call it. That's your strip steak, your strip loin. So the strip steak on beef is the backstrap on venison. And if you compare the tenderness of beef strip steak to venison strip steak also known as backstrap, you're going to get really similar tenderness. You really will. It's not drastically different. Now, you're going to have more marbling on a beef strip steak. You're going to have a little more moisture in a beef strip steak. But when you're talking about sheer tenderness, they're comparable. They really are, depending on the age of the deer and so on. But to be fair, if you worked on the age of the cow and they weren't just slaughtered at the most tender age, you know. You really have very similar meat in terms of tenderness. And you can cook with that very similar to how you would cook with beef from a tenderness standpoint. Not necessarily a cooking method and flavor standpoint. You always want to cook venison more rare than you would cook beef. If you're cooking in a beef dish, you're you're cooking the beef to be well done, you want the venison to be medium. If you're cooking beef to, to medium, then you want the venison probably to be medium rare because you're going to have, there's just, for whatever reason, venison, as it approaches medium well and well done, becomes a lot tighter, a lot tougher, and it loses a lot of moisture because there's very little fat in it, and the flavor profile changes. Well done venison has a different taste than medium venison. Now, beef does too, but we've gotten used to it, and you know, that's just become second nature to us. You don't have a lot of people who've never had a cow until they were 30 or 40 years old and then they're, they're learning about what beef is. Now, we grew up, we, we just it's just part of our palate. We don't even think twice about it. But venison, because it's new and the flavors are stronger and more distinct, that, that effect is amplified in our perception. So as the, the beef or as the venison becomes more well done, you just lose tenderness just straight up lose it. So one of the best ways to cook more tender venison is to not overcook venison. You know, I I don't think venison should ever be cooked past medium unless it's ground, you know, or it's stewed or something like that, slow cooked. But other than those, you know, handful of applications, anytime you're cooking venison on the grill, on the stove, you medium, I think, is the furthest you want to take it. If you want it to be more tender. But that's not the only thing you do to tenderize it, of course. That's not a tenderizing process. That's just achieving more tenderness through cooking it better. A lot of people like to tenderize venison by doing a whole host of things. Soak it in milk or buttermilk overnight or for two nights or three nights. Soak it in vinegar. Overnight, and then wash it. Um, You know, people like to marinate it in olive oil and spices and herbs and red wine. People like to to just coat it in salt and let the salt work its way in and tenderize the meat. You know, every one of those it, it, it has an effect. It 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 does something. It 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 creates. Um, a more t- I don't know about the regular milk, to be honest. Buttermilk, though, does have enzymes in it, which can help tenderness. My experience with all of those methods is you have a slight change in flavor, but a very small change in tenderness. You know, if I, if I marinate venison and olive oil and red wine and garlic and oregano and salt and pepper, I will get a slightly more tender cut of meat. I'll get a more tasty cut of meat, though, than I will tender. It's not going to get much more tender from an overnight or even a two-night marinade in that. For whatever reason, it just does not affect tenderness that much. You know, I I, I cannot assign a scientific value to it, but if I'm shooting from the hip, I'd say 5-10% benefit on, on tenderness. Soaking it in buttermilk, same thing. I don't think it adds any flavor. People say, well, it removes the gaminess. Ah. If you have a really gamey deer, maybe you didn't care for it well in the field. Maybe it was running, you know, really bad. And then you shot it right after it puttered out because it couldn't run anymore. Or you had a bad shot and it ran for two days and nights. And you ended up with a really gamey deer. I could see it. Yeah. Do whatever you can do at that point. You might need to take some extra steps but if venison is cared for well there's not much gaminess to remove those kind of methods i feel like are just misguided you're trying to remove the gaminess by you know marinating it in overnight in buttermilk or whatever i've not found really any difference myself in my own personal application but i've not had too many really gamey deer um But what people are really trying to do most of the time, just being honest, three quarters of the time, they're soaking it overnight in buttermilk or they're soaking it overnight in in vinegar. They're trying to make it taste like beef. They're trying to transmute, use alchemy to turn their venison into beef. That's really what they're trying to do. Just trying to remove any and all flavor that's there so it tastes more like beef. And that's unrealistic. That just doesn't work. Um... You know, you're really wasting a lot of time and energy and effort doing that and aging that meat more in the fridge than, than than is helpful. So if you have an animal that's really gamey because of a reason, then, you know, try whatever you want to try to try to salvage it. That, that's, that can be a real thing. But most of the time, those kind of methods are just wasted. You're not imparting, you use vinegar, eh, you're not adding anything you're really not. You're not adding anything to that. I mean, it's just, you're making the meat taste like vinegar. It's not, I mean, it's getting maybe 10% more tender. Same with the buttermilk, maybe 10% more tender. Um, I just don't see it. Better than any of those methods, take your steaks out or whatever you're using as steak, put it on the cutting board and hit it with some salt, pepper, and garlic, SPG, but lots of salt hit it liberally with that salt, and then let it sit and come up the room temperature salted. Let it sit for an hour. And that salt will work its way into the meat, and it will actually tenderize the meat as it sits there. I think you get more benefit from that one hour of the meat being salted and seasoned than you do from an overnight or two nights trying to, to marinate it to being more tender. That's just my personal experience. Take it out of, the, out of the freezer, thaw it, take it out, dry, cut it up, salt it, pepper, garlic. Now, don't like put a pound of salt on it, but just like you would a beefsteak, made a little extra salt. I like to use sea salt. You could use kosher salt. You could use Himalayan salt. You could use all kinds of salt. I think the bigger the chunks of salt, the better, but it's not a huge deal either way. So salt that, both sides, let it sit for an hour, come up to room temperature, and that salt will work on it to help tenderize it. The other thing I found, and this is the biggest one, this is is the biggest thing, to tenderize venison. You're going to be shocked now. No, you're not really. It's, It's super simple. You use a mallet, just like you would tenderize chicken or beef, but most people don't. You, you get a tenderizing mallet with all the different teeth on one side or another. Take that venison out, cut it to whatever it should be, put it on your cutting board, put a layer of saran wrap over it. This way you don't have splatter and splash and all kinds of stuff making a mess. And tenderize that sucker with that mallet. Usually most mallets have two sides. You have a coarse side and a fine side, either big teeth or little teeth. I will use the big teeth, the, the, the coarse side. And I will just, I'll go over that thing twice on each side until the, the parts that are thicker become thin. till It literally becomes thin like a chicken breast. Now, it's going to thicken back up when you go to cook it. It will. But tenderize it real good. I'll go over it twice on both sides, hitting it hard. Hard. That's the key. Then I'll flip it over again and I will use the, the fine teeth the flatter side of the mallet, that's the the finishing side. And I'll go over it again, twice on each side with that, not hitting it quite as hard as as the first time around, until that piece of meat has become flatter, until it has broken down the heavy structure of the connective tissue and of the fibers, the the, the thick fiber parts of it. And I will just work that piece of meat, both sides with each side of the mallet, Literally hitting each side, you know, two, two times with the first mount and two times with the second one. So four times per side.
0: Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with Superfast Shipping, MidwayUSA.com. Fishing Like a Local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing Like a Local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: And depending on how tough it is, depending on how thick it is, I may hit it harder or or less. I may hit certain parts of it more. Just tenderizing it out. And that whole process takes about a minute. About a minute. And what i found by just doing that and nothing else is that I can get, you know, a top round roast, which is one of the biggest cuts of the leg, to be as tender as a New York strip steak or a ribeye steak from a cow. Now it doesn't have the fat in it, it doesn't have the juice in it, you still have to cook it to medium, but in terms of tenderness, unbelievable. You can take the eye of round which I don't know if you ever bought an eye of round roast for a cow. It's it's usually something that'll feed a family on, on a Sunday dinner. It's not supposed to be a steak. But I'll take eye of round steaks on venison, which ends up being, I don't know, eight ounces a piece maybe, somewhere in that ballpark. And I will tenderize those using this same technique. And they will come out like beef steaks. I mean, they will be tender. They will be... They'll be just like a New York strip steak in terms of tenderness because you're breaking down the connective fibers, the long grain fibers in the meat and then you want to cut it against the grain. That's important. Whenever you go to serve it or you go to eat it, you always cut it against the grain. If you don't know what that is, Google it, take five minutes, figure that out. You want to cut against the grain. That way... You're you're cutting the connective tissue, then when your your teeth bite into it, it just pulls right apart. You always cut it against the grain. But I have found using that technique, you can you can take any cut on on the deer, any cut, any cut, and make it as tender as a beef steak. Now that's not just for, you know, grilling and and sautéing you can tenderize it and cook it a lot more using similar methods to you would beef. You know, if you've ever stir-fried venison, you find that, you know, it can be really chewy. Well, tenderize it first, then slice it up, then stir-fry it. You'll find a completely different experience. Doesn't matter how you cook it. If you're doing venison medallions, I'll tenderize tenderloins if I'm cooking them to past medium. So say you're doing like a venison medallions or a stir fry or some other dish in a pan or whatever it might be where you're cooking it to to well done. You're cooking it all the way through. Maybe, you know, whatever it is, that's just the way the dish is. There's a lot of dishes like that. You're just cooking it right through. If I'm going to cook it like that, even if it's tenderloin, I will still tenderize it. In order to, to keep maximum tenderness and and ease ability to eat now you start combining some of these methods which I don't think you really need to do but if you really wanted to you could marinate that meat overnight but then you have to dry it and then tenderize it and I hate that step so I almost never do that I almost never do that I will take it out of the freezer Thaw it in the fridge. That's the other thing. That's a big piece of tenderizing your meat. If you go straight from the freezer and just try to heat that meat under hot water until it loosens up and thaws out, it's going to be a lot tougher and have poorer flavor than if you would let it just thaw overnight or over two nights in the refrigerator. The slow thaw Releases the tension in the meat. It it releases. I don't know what it all does or why it affects the flavor profile, but just try it. Test it if you want to. You know, take take two cuts of the same tenderloin, both frozen. Thaw one overnight or over two nights in the fridge. Take the other one out and just toast it under hot water for fifteen minutes until it thaws. Cook them both. I guarantee you, the one that thawed slowly in the fridge under refrigeration is going to be more tender and have better flavor so how you thaw the meat does matter that doesn't mean you can't ever do it the, the quick and dirty way you just you lose some tenderness you lose a little bit of flavor profile maybe some juiciness in that so you want to thaw it slowly that's one of the the big ways to help it so you thaw that meat slowly and then what i'll do is i'll take it out of the fr- i'll take it out of the fridge I vacuum seal my meat. You don't have to, but I do so it'll last longer. Eat it faster, it's not a big deal. So I'll take it out of the vacuum sealed bag. I'll pat it dry with a paper towel. Then I'll tenderize it. And then I'll salt and pepper it. And then I'll let it sit for an hour. So I get the benefit of the salt, seasoning the meat, and tenderizing the meat. And then I get that the benefit of the physical tenderizer with the mallet. And what you end up with is you know, very similar in tenderness to a beef steak. So, or to, you know, excuse me, to a strip steak from beef. And it's just, uh, it's a much better experience. It's, I found that the toughest cuts of meat, the toughest cuts, if you cook them right, if you tenderize it right, you know, you, you can get amazing quality. You can get amazing attributes out of it. I mean, the, 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 eye, the eye of round is just on beef. It's only good for a roast. You would never do a steak out of eye of round. I have is terrible. You would never do that on purpose if you're a person that really knows what a steak is and appreciates it. But on venison, because it's smaller, like you couldn't tenderize a beef eye of round. It's huge. You would need sledgehammers. And then what would you do with it? It's so big. But on venison, it's it's the size of one steak for one person. And you tenderize that eye around with the mallet and some salt. And then you can, you can grill it just like you would a steak. Or pan saute it just like you would a steak. Now people ask, okay, what's the best way to cook a venison steak? Well, if you're going to cook it like a steak, a lot of people like to cook it on a gas grill. A lot of people like to cook it over charcoal. I've got you know, a little, little bias there. My favorite way that I've figured out is to cook it in a pan. Take a big cast iron skillet or any skillet that you have. Doesn't have to be cast iron. In fact, I rarely use my cast iron skillet because it's just the pain of getting it out and cleaning it and dealing with it. I just grab my stainless steel skillet, throw it on there. I'll pour olive oil in it until it starts to smoke on high heat. Take that venison that's already warmed up. I've tenderized it with the mallet. I've tenderized it with the salt. Put it straight in there until you get a good crust on each side. Try to take it off medium, medium rare. In fact, you probably want to take it off more medium rare because then it's going to still cook through a few more degrees even after you take it off the heat. But you want a good crust. And the crust that you're going to get from the pan, I found, it just works better than putting it on the grill. Because the grill I found to be just too slow. It's too slow. Can't get it hot enough. You know, I can turn my gr- I get my grill as hot as it goes to the needle. Is at like the 900 degree mark. Put the meat on there. I still don't get enough sear before the meat overcooks. For a regular sized steak, but I've found that if you sauté it in a pan with a little bit of olive oil, and I will cook steaks that same way. I'll make ribeyes like that. I'll make strip steaks like that. I'll do filet like that in the wintertime when it's a pain to use the grill. Some people like to do it over charcoal. I find the same problem between charcoal and the grill. I like the smell of charcoal. I like the flavor of it, but I find it's hard to get enough heat. But one thing that I will do, because if you ever cook it, then it's not as tender. So what I will do is I'll take that venison. Um, maybe I'll take a whole top round roast which I really like to do. Top round roast is the is a big tender cut of the leg. I'll tenderize it with the mallet, salt it, just salt. I'll get the charcoal real hot, lump charcoal now. Not briquettes. Don't use briquettes. If you use charcoal briquettes, that's fine. Get saved, use those up, never buy them again. Go and buy lump charcoal. This is real charcoal. This is actual trees. Heated and dried out and turned in the charcoal, it's the real thing. It's not sawdust from the lumber mill that they've clumped together and pressed in the bricks and added whatever they've added. You're talking about actual wood, and the lump charcoal, which is literally, you open it up and it's just like pieces of chunks of real wood of real trees, real branches. It cooks hotter, it cooks faster which is exactly what you want for venison. You know, I will not even buy briquettes anymore. To me, it is like I have been delivered into something drastically better. Uh, And a lot of times, it'll cook longer. So even if you're doing a smoker, it's better to cook with lump charcoal than briquettes. To me, briquettes have no advantage at all. They don't. I don't even know how they exist. Maybe they're a little cheaper, but... You know Kingsford um, really owned the market when they invented those. And marketing is probably the number one reason they exist. but you get lump charcoal; it lights faster. Gets you a charcoal chimney, so you'll never have to buy another drop of lighter fluid again. And take your nice organic charcoal and, and just spray gasoline on it. That's or kerosene or whatever's in the in the charcoal fluid. You yourself uh, a nice charcoal chimney. Fill that thing up with lump charcoal. All you need is a couple sheets of newspaper or paper or cardboard or whatever you want. Just throw it underneath that. Light it with a match. That'll get that thing caught. Or you could do what I do and I just put it on the grill burner because I don't have to mess with the matches. To get that bottom layer lit in the chimney, it causes the heat to go up. So the entire chimney full of lump charcoal lights and gets hot and you just pour it into your grill and you're ready to go. So I'll take my lump charcoal. I'll pour it into my grill. I'll arrange everything with the tongs to make sure I've got an even layer. I might fan it a little bit with a piece of cardboard just to get the heat as high as I can get it. And then I'll take my top round steak. I will tenderize it. I will salt it. Make sure it's come up to room temperature. And I will just slap that thing right on the charcoal. Literally on touching the burning wood. It's called coal-seared venison. And I will put that on the hottest charcoal I can get. People are like, you know, this short-circuits people's brains for whatever reason. But when you're talking about lump charcoal, you don't get the ash and the dust that you get from briquettes. Again, I don't know why briquettes even exist on our planet. It's just because people have been kept in the shadow of darkness for so long And they've grown up living in darkness. They've not seen the light and the truth of what is real charcoal. So you get that lump charcoal, heats up super hot, has very little ash, very little dust. Cooks great. Put that meat right on it for a couple minutes each side, maybe three, three, four minutes each side until it gets up to a medium rare or a little bit less than that. Pull it off the charcoal let it rest it'll come up to medium on its own you won't think it will but it will it'll you know let it sit for five ten minutes and then you cut into that thing again across the grain and you get the nice sear on the meat gives you that caramelization because it was sitting on the hot charcoal cooks fast you get the smokiness from the charcoal and it's tender as all get out because you had the high heat you tenderized it with the mallet you put the salt on it you sliced it against the grain you didn't overcook it and then i will take that and i will finish that with like um like a rustic rosemary and garlic sauce with a chili pepper so i'll take a fresno chili pepper which is similar to a cayenne and some garlic and some rosemary some olive oil some salt and i just put that in a food processor until it just becomes a puree i'll pour that over top of this sliced up two pound roast and then just serve that as an appetizer or as a center plate item, you know, at the dinner table, and people can just pull from that. And you talk about tender, you talk about delicious. Now, a lot of those, I wouldn't do most of that with beef. Just wouldn't do it. The flavor profile is a little different. The The way you cook, it's a little different. the The result, beef, most cuts of beef, you're going to get a flare up. It hits that charcoal, and you literally have meat on charcoal. The fat is going to just catch on fire and you're going up with a grease fire. It just doesn't work. You you can't really do most steaks like that, most cuts of beef. But with venison, oh man, it's perfect. It's excellent. It's phenomenal. So there's just things that you can do. So I could keep going, but I think I've covered my point and and you know, you guys can head to the website newhuntersguide.com, check out the show notes, check out lots of other episodes. Everything from how to field dress venison, how to hunt it, how to get the quality meat from the field, how to care for it, how to cook it—all those things you can find there. Um, leave me some feedback, send me an email, or leave me a, a review on iTunes. Really appreciate it. That's one of the best ways to help get the word out—is by leaving a good iTunes review and you know share this podcast, subscribe. Love to hear from you guys. Send me an email, send me questions. I've got a bunch of podcasts coming up in the future just answering questions that I've got from people. So I appreciate you guys. God bless you. Until next time, go get them in the woods.